Well, as you know, this Lent, we're moving through the eighth chapter of Romans in a series entitled More Than Conquerors. We are, as Paul says, more than conquerors through the one who loves us, through Jesus Christ. And this chapter is about Paul describing and pretty much labeling what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But Paul isn't just about celebrating our victory in this chapter. He also faces into the difficulty of living into this new identity that we have in in Jesus Christ. The difficulty of living between the already of what Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, the already of that promise, the already of the completed action of it all, but also the not yet. Not yet in that we experience things that do not feel that victorious right now. Because what is true about this new life, this new life doesn't always feel like it's true or like it's new. And we experience, as we all know, the pain of suffering. And in verses 18 to 25, Paul addresses this truth. And he gives us some encouragement on how to cope with that suffering. And I want to read those verses for you right now. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. It is confusing sometimes, oh God, to know what following Jesus means and whether or not he's taking us into places we would rather not go or whether we just happen into those places and he's with us nevertheless. But it is not easy to keep going in this journey sometimes. So help us in this hour and beyond this hour to find our strength to persevere. For we pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, I had the chance to see a film. I think I saw it on Netflix. That's the problem with today is there's so many different places to see things. You got to kind of tell people. And I can't guarantee it'll still be there if you go there after today. But uh, the film was called Endgame. And it's a documentary about end of life and the choices 
that we have as we come to the end of life. And it takes us into the stories of many people who are facing those end of life questions and also into the lives of the people who are treating them. And one of the most memorable things about this film for me was an interview with one of the palliative care doctors. He's a physician at a hospice clinic in San Francisco. His name is Dr. B.J. Miller. And he's someone who is a triple amputee. He's missing his left arm from about his elbow down, and he's missing both legs from about his knee down. Amputations that basically completed an injury that happened to him when he was only 19 years old. He was out drinking with his friends one night. I think he was in the East Coast going to college, and they happened to decide to get up on top of a train that was stopped overnight in uh, one of the stations. And somehow he happened to raise his hand and his metal watch connected with the wires above him. And immediately the electrical current went through his body and down out through both of his feet where he was grounded against the metal of that train. And it blew off his hand it literally blew off both of his feet and subsequently they did amputations to save his life and he has lived since then he was probably a man in his late 40s when he did this interview he's lived since then with prosthetics in all three of those places it's a big loss obviously but there's one quote in the midst of the interview that i i want to tell you about and it stands out and it defines, in my mind, suffering in a way that is a great general definition of what it means to suffer. Contemplating the body he had at 19 before the accident and the body that he now has after the accident, he gave this definition of suffering. He said, suffering is the gap between the world you want and the world you got. Suffering is the gap between the world you want and the world you got. Suffering happens in that space in between, that in between space that is between loss and desire for something different, perhaps, as for him. Unable to go back to what was and unable also to imagine something new that might be as you sit there with your bandage remnants of limbs and wonder what's next. Suffering's the gap between what you want and what you got. And the psalmist in Psalm 42 kind of knows this as well as Colleen read for us earlier. It, it captures a description of this space. It's a psalm that's written in the exile and the thing you need to know about the Babylonian exile is that just like Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept. We wept when we remembered Zion. There were all these canals in Babylon, lots of water everywhere, but still the people were thirsty. They longed for, as the psalmist longed for, flowing streams, not just the canals of Babylon by which they hung up their harps on the willows. The context is exile. It's not home. There's no choice of going home. Jerusalem's been invaded and destroyed and the leadership carried into exile in, in Babylon. 
There's no choice of going home, and even if they went home, it wouldn't be home in the way they knew it to be home because the temple was gone, the walls were destroyed, the place was a mess. And so the psalmist sings of longing for flowing water because all that he knows at that point is the thirst of all that isn't. Hearts are broken because of the loss. There's a wondering where God is and if the taunts of those around them in Babylon are true, come and, and tell us, where, where is this God of yours as you sit here in defeat and in exile? The psalmist is living in that painful gap between the life he's got and the life he wants. The psalmist is in that gap where suffering takes place and so begins to sing of hope. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my king and my God. So why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? God is still God. And here in Romans 8, Paul gives us an image that helps us to cope with this space of living in this gap between what we've got and what we want. And he says essentially that the groans of this space, the moans of this space, the, the crying out for help in the midst of this space is actually the same kind of crying that one might do, a woman might do if she was in labor. Paul compares the groans of creation with the labor pains of a, of a woman who is in transition that those excruciating moments before giving birth, anticipating the birth of a child, are what we're doing in the midst of suffering as we do so in the context of a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. The suffering we experience in this transition, as Paul says, is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He essentially says this groan of creation, this thing that suggests that pain is never ending, this suffering that makes us think that there is no hope for anything different than suffering, is actually the sign of something about to be born. Actually a sign of hope and an invitation to wait with patience. He's painting a picture that suggests that we're both waiting to be born into our new identity, but also waiting to give birth to our own new life. That we are both mother and baby in this equation <laughs> and anticipating a whole new creation. Realizing the futility of life without God and realizing the fullness of life in God, we wait. And in this space of waiting, we are also suffering. Suffering in that in-between space. Suffering mainly because we're able to look back and also look forward. As if we're looking in both directions and wondering what's going to happen. To feel God's absence and to also anticipate God's presence. And so groaning in transition between these two realities.
It brings to mind something a little lighter to break some of the heaviness. <laughs> brings to mind something my father used to say to me. I have a number of what I call Bill-isms. My father's name was William Bill Brewer. And so I have these Bill-isms that I hold within me. They are deeply, deeply rooted. And they're sort of truths that were offered to me as a child with a bit of tongue-in-cheek as he offered them. And some might say cynicism. wonder where that came from in me, huh? Um, <laughs> And it's sort of a tone of good-natured mockery, calling me to, to kind of pick myself up and, and go forward. Uh, kind of a tone of, it's not as bad as that. Uh, so redirect your focus. If I hit my finger with a hammer and saw it to be an unending pain that was going to be with me for a long time, his first words were usually something like, well, that will feel really good when it stops hurting. <laughs> and if it went on too long, he'd say, well, suffering's good for the soul. Both things are sort of self-evident in that context, kind of painfully self-evident. And the message in both of them is, oh, get over it. It will stop hurting, and you will eventually get through this place to something better. There's a reason for hope for something better. But Paul takes this kind of encouragement a step farther, well beyond a sort of good-natured, loving mockery. And it's something that he does to say, essentially, it's not just that this won't last forever, so get over it. But there is one who has gone through this and is with you in it, and therefore, in the midst of it with you now, this Lord whom you follow has experienced every pain you can possibly experience and has stayed in faithful relationship with his Father. God himself and Jesus has joined with you in this gap between what you've got and what you want. Because God and Jesus chose to lay aside his divine prerogative and become human and allow every pain that we can know, including the pain of betrayal and death, but every pain that we can know has passed through the heart of God. And therefore, he has blazed this trail of what it now means to live in hope. Because he has had to live in that same gap. And now walks it with you as you seek to be faithful in the same way that he was. His presence with you in this present suffering is what gives you hope, says Paul. Hope is, therefore, the confidence to welcome these contractions, knowing that they are not the last word, but they are only a sign and a signal and perhaps an assistance to the creation in that process of being born, in that process of being set free from bondage to sin and decay. 
And so says Paul, we can live in hope. Knowing that this hope is just that, hope. That we can't see it fully. We can't know it perfectly. We can't even be assured of it fully. We can only wait. But as he says earlier in chapter 5, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts and we have obtained access into an unending and unfathomable grace in which we now stand. Let's pray. Help us to see our feet, O God, and to see them planted firmly on that foundation of your grace the solid rock from which we cannot be shaken, the embrace from which we cannot be pulled. Help us to rest in that place and live in that hope that does not disappoint. For we know above all else that your love has been poured out into our hearts by your spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.